give you a praise. If there's a testimony in the house that God is still delivering, why don't you testify with your praise? If God's ever set you free, you ought to testify in your worship. He's still proving. He's still moving. He's still a great God. Somebody give him praise. Somebody give God a great hand clap of praise in this house. Oh, come on. Let's give him a great praise. Hallelujah. He's a great God worthy of my best praise. Come on, somebody. Even on your worst day, God's still worthy of our best praise. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. It is good to be in the house of the Lord here on this Sunday afternoon. Let's give all of our guests and visitors a wonderful hand clap, a welcome. Amen. On behalf of our church, my wife and I, we're so thankful to have you. And uh, as Brother Diaz said, just jump right in. Amen. Make yourself at home as we worship and we continue to seek the presence of the Lord. I want to say before we uh, dismiss our Sunday school students uh, as they get ready, I want to say a great thank you to all those that came out and helped. Yesterday and on Friday, we had an all-church spring cleaning. We do this once a year, and uh, man, it makes a big difference. And so thank you to all those. Let's give them a hand. Amen. People are here for hours and hours and hours, and that stuff doesn't happen by, in by accident. It was intentional. People got together. Amen. I also want to say uh, it's good to have Sister Bo in the back. She can see me, but amen. We're so thankful to have her. Amen. And it's also good to have Nan in the house of the Lord with us. Good to see you. Amen. At this time, we'd like to dismiss our Sunday school students to their classrooms. Everybody say God bless our Sunday school kids. And God bless our Sunday school teachers. Amen. We love our kids here at ARC. You don't want to miss next Sunday. Next Sunday is going to be an incredible time in the Holy Ghost. Evangelist Brandon Fuller is going to be preaching. And uh, if, you, if you have any friends or neighbors, you got any enemies, bring them to the house of the Lord. Amen. It's a great place for them to be. Also, for all of our kids, we're going to make sure uh, we've been collecting candy and all of that. We want to, we want to bless them. Amen. And we want to bless their parents with a sugar-rated child. Amen. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2, and the book of Isaiah chapter 54, verse number 4. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice that he endured the cross, despising its shame, despising shame itself. Why? Because the joy that was set before him. And that joy is you and I in the house of the Lord, worshiping Him, worshiping God freely. Amen. And if you have your eyes, Isaiah chapter 54 and verse number 4. 
Isaiah 53 is a prophecy of the crucifixion of Jesus. Isaiah 54 is a prophecy of what was coming after the crucifixion of Jesus. The joy that was set before him. In fact, they read a verse earlier that simply said, No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Amen. It talks about all of the good things that come as a result of the crucifixion of Jesus. And I'm, a, I'm just going to set the stage. I don't know what Brother Puller is going to preach, uh, but I want to I wanna make sure he can walk in absolute and complete liberty when he gets here. So I'm going to do my part as the pastor to just clear the way. I'll be John the Baptist today. I'll just prepare the way. Amen. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 4. This is what's coming because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither shalt thou be confounded. For thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth. Thou shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. Amen. In the context of this, he's talking about how God is redeeming Israel and the people of God as those that have been set and cast to the wayside. He says, I'm restoring that. And in the restoration process, there's no need for shame. There's no need for shame. The Bible says that he endured the cross, despising the shame. And I want to preach to us for a few moments on that subject, despising the shame. Would you set down your Bibles as we pray all across this building? Hallelujah. Would you lift up your voice as we pray? I believe every individual in this building, there can be such a deliverance from shame that you walk out of this place a completely new creation in Christ. Hallelujah. Do you believe that with me? Lord, we praise you. We worship you. I pray for every saint of God, every guest and every visitor. Lord, I'm praying that you would touch our hearts and touch our minds, God. I pray that today you'd give a complete deliverance, amen, from shame and everything that follows shame in the house of the Lord today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated for a few moments here today. And despising the shame. I want to talk to you today about how shame came. Amen. And shame is not new to the human experience. Every single person in this house has felt shame. In fact, there are some people that you operate your entire existence by shame. There are people here today that if we were to tell stories. Everybody has got a story of a time in which they were ashamed. Now, turn to your neighbor and tell them what that story was. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Praise God. But I want to say this undeniably, that shame was not instituted by God in the beginning. Genesis 2 and 25 in the creation story, when God created man, he created them male and female. The Bible says in Genesis 2 and 25, the both were naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. When God created them, there was nothing to be ashamed of. There was no shame. It was a dispensation of innocence. Everybody was innocent. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, we can find that shame begins to arise, and it comes after the fall of man. 
If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 7 simply reads this, And the eyes of them both were opened. This is after mankind did the very thing God told them not to. And now their eyes are open, and they knew that they were naked. See, they'd already been in that state, but they did not recognize that there's anything wrong with that. Because when God created it, he created it perfect, he created it beautiful, and he created it without shame. And the Bible says when they knew this, they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves aprons. The Bible says they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. A God that they had walked with, talked with, had a relationship with. They were able to be in his presence and it never bothered them. Now, because they've sinned and they've made a mistake, they are now ashamed to be in his presence. And the Bible says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said unto him, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Now notice, this was never a problem before. In fact, God created them innocently. But now that mankind has done something wrong, their view of themselves has become skewed. And now they feel as if there's something intrinsically wrong with them. There has become a, a, a clouded view of shame over them. And now God must not love me. God must not want me around. God, i got to hide myself from God because of my shameful condition. And God asked the question, Who told you that you were naked? Or have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? I want you to notice here today that the first result of sin was shame. The very first thing that came because of disobedience and because of sin was shame. They, sin had caused them to be ashamed of who they were. It caused them to fear and it caused them to hide from God. Amen. Let me talk to you for a few moments today about shame. Shame is a complex emotion that is rooted in our identity and in our self-worth. Shame is often triggered by experiences of failure, rejection, or humiliation. It can lead to feelings of inadequacy, unworthiness, and ultimately it leads us further and further into isolation. I can always tell as a pastor when somebody is struggling with shame because they don't engage more in the kingdom. They don't engage more in the church. In fact, they go further from God, further from the church. They go more isolated and inside themselves. For most of us, guilt and shame were reinforced from early childhood. You ever heard the phrase, shame on you? Many of us have said that. Many of us were told that. You were bad. Shame on you. You should be ashamed of yourself. You ever heard that? Yeah, I, I heard that. I grew up in a home like that. You should be ashamed of yourself. Doesn't matter what you did. It could be the smallest thing, but you should be ashamed of yourself. I've come to break through that lie here today. Amen. Psychologists define guilt as an emotional state that appears when we feel we have failed to live up to the morals of ourselves or of others. Like shame, guilt provokes thoughts of how we have failed 
and distressed emotions like sadness, anger, or anxiety. Wonder why some people in our world are feeling so anxious and so stressed out. Could it be they feel guilty about some things? Amen. I want to tell you we have the answer here today for every bit of shame and every bit of guilt. It's so intense it can actually cause physical reactions. Amen. There's people here today that when you feel ashamed, when you feel guilty, you get sick to your stomach. Amen. I, I, I used to be that way when I was a kid. I'd get sick to my stomach and not because I was about to get a whooping. Amen. I just knew there was something about feeling guilty. It weighed down physically on my body. If resolved appropriately, some guilt can actually become healthy. Shame, on the other hand, so many people think shame and guilt are the same things. They're not. Shame, on the other hand, is defined as an intense feeling about the self that comes, to, comes because you failed to live up to your own or to other people's standards. The main difference from guilt is, and shame is that shame causes you to see yourself as a bad person, while guilt implies that you have done something bad. Shame is unhealthy, especially if it's not resolved, because it can lead to a loss of self-esteem over time. When you consider shame versus guilt, they are both unpleasant, but I want to tell you, guilt is that feeling when you know you've done wrong, but guilt lets you know you can get it resolved, whereas shame tries to say there's something wrong with you. <laughs> guilt is how we feel about the things that we have done wrong. Guilt is normal. It's honest response to our own conscience. Guilt by itself is not a bad thing. If you do something wrong, you're guilty. There's nothing wrong with saying, I did it, and that was wrong. Amen. It's better to feel guilty when we've done something wrong than to have no conscience. You know, a sociopath is somebody who does not feel guilty. They do whatever they want, and they feel no guilt whatsoever. Guilt is a healthy emotion. Amen. When you do something wrong, there should be an element of guilt. Amen. Because it's letting us know our conscience is working right. But shame is not good. Shame is how we feel about ourselves. It's how we see ourselves because of the wrongs that we've done or because of the things that have happened to us. There's people here today that have suffered through just gross abuse, whether it be physical, emotional, verbal, sexual. Shame clouds our, our, our feelings. It clouds our countenance. It makes us hang our head low and hide ourselves from God and from other people. I want to tell you, if you came to the house of God today, I applaud you. I applaud you because there's so many people, they have let their shame keep them away from the presence of God. There's people that they're so afraid to come amongst a group of other people because they don't know whether or not they'll be received because of the way they perceive themselves based on their own shame. But you made it to the house of God. You ought to give God some praise that he gave you strength to push past the shame and push past the guilt and make it to the presence of the Lord. Somebody give God some praise. Somebody once said, shame is the grief that a man has from his own perfect, perfect imperfections when he feels that the world is taking notice of them. It's the grief somebody has of their own imperfections when they think everybody else sees them too. It is the grief upon the sense of a low self-esteem. Guilt says, I did something bad, but shame says, I am bad. We feel guilty for what we did, but we feel ashamed for who we are. 
Shame is an attack on identity. It says, I am dirty. Shame makes us feel unworthy of love and of affection. I want to tell you, I've worked with people and I've dealt with people and I came from a, a messed up background where it was shame-based. I come from an abusive drug home and it took me many, many years to realize what was really going on. I came to church. I couldn't look people in the eyes because I didn't realize I was dealing with shame. I didn't feel worthy of the love that people were giving to me. I didn't feel worthy of the affection that people were giving to me, let alone the God of all eternity. I have worked with people long enough to tell you that one of the biggest challenges I face is not their sin. Hallelujah. Some people think my sin's the biggest problem. Amen. Sin is not a problem for God. He already shed his blood for your sin. I have dealt with people that are suffering from gross immorality, but gross immorality has not been the dip most difficult thing I've had to deal with as a pastor and as a Bible study teacher. I have dealt with people that have been addicted to drugs and to alcohol, people that have gone through divorce, people that have gone through all sorts of mess, but those have not been the most difficult thing that I've had to deal with. Uh, amen. It's not even the person that comes in off the street, uh, amen, that's often the most difficult person uh, because even those sitting on a church seat, uh, a church pew, uh, amen, suffer from the very same thing uh, that the people in the world suffer from, uh, that I've had to face as a leader and as a pastor and as a Bible study teacher, and it's a thing called shame. Shame is that, that feeling that says, I am defective, I am damaged, I am dirty, I am flawed, I am unworthy, I am unwanted. Hallelujah. I want to tell you it's a lie from the pit of hell. This is why the first question God asked, he said, who told you that you were this way? Who told you there's a problem with the way you are? Who Come on, somebody. It's a lie that's been propagated since Adam and Eve, and it's happening even today in the year 2023. The devil's coming by saying you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. There's something wrong with you, but it's a lie from hell, and God's going to deliver somebody of shame here today. Somebody lift up your voice and magnify the Lord. Man, I've dealt with people that have suffered from shame. Amen, I, I understand the battle. I've had to come out of it myself. Amen, in fact, shame uh, has become a crutch for some people because shame is not always just negative things. Amen, shame is what causes some people to be driven. I want to tell you, sometimes I'm driven because I love people, and sometimes I'm driven by shame that I should be doing more. Come on. There's some folks here today, you're a workaholic because of shame, not because of love. Hallelujah, that if I accomplish enough, then I'll be loved. There's people that are pursuing that certain house, that certain car, that certain look, that certain family, not because you actually care about those things, but because you're so ashamed of who you are and what you've been that you think that maybe those external things will take you up a few notches. Amen. I want to tell you that's a lie. Uh, that's a lie. Uh, who told you that what you had was not enough? Who told you that what you wore is not enough? And, and leading people and working with people with shame, it's, it's such a challenge because you try to convince them what God has already spoken about them. And you try to convince them what the word of God has already said about them, but they've already got an internal voice that says, nope, that's not true. You tell them they're loved, but that voice says, no, you're not. 
You tell them that God dying for your sins has made you worthy, but there's this voice in their head that says, no, you're not worthy. This shame-based thinking leads to all sorts of things. It leads to perfectionism. That if I don't do it perfectly, I'm not good enough. There's some perfections in the house of the Lord. You didn't realize that its root is actually in shame. It meant somewhere along the lines that every time you did something wrong, somebody berated you or yelled at you or screamed at you, and they made you feel ashamed for the littlest and tiniest of mistakes, that now you're afraid to make a move at all because if you make a move at all, you will, you will accidentally slip into shame or make a mistake, and somebody will look down on you. Uh, and there's people right now that are so bound up by shame uh, that it's leading them to not make any decisions. Uh, amen. As we talked about a while ago, they are so indecisive about whether or not they want to live for God whether or not they want to move forward, uh, whether or not they can go here or go there in their life. Uh, why? Because they're bound up by shame. Shame causes us to find it difficult to accept any fault or mistake. There's some folks, you try to work with somebody that's bound up by shame, you tell them, uh, you know what, this is wrong, and immediately they get defensive. Now, don't look at nobody. Just look straight ahead. Look at the pastor. Don't bump your spouse. Just look straight ahead. Don't bump your brother. Just look straight ahead. I'm, I'm telling the truth here. You try to work with somebody, this is the challenge. You try to confront somebody, not that they're bad, and immediately, doesn't matter what you say, they took it personal. What have you done? They felt that old shame rise back up. I just said, take out the trash. They didn't say, you're trash. But I'm telling you, I've worked with enough people to tell you that's exactly how they receive it. You just tell them, you know, you could fix this, and immediately it makes them feel as if they're wrong or they're bad or there's something bad about them. Uh, I do it all the time. I, I, my wife, uh, we, 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 we say this all the time. I, I'll tell her to do something, or uh, I'll say, hey, uh, do this. And she says, I am. And I said, I know you are. Just, just keep doing it. I'm encouraging you. But that old creeping shame says you're not doing good, you're not doing right, you're not doing well. And when you hear something, you hear it through the wrong lens. It comes through the wrong wavelength. I'm preaching real good to somebody. And when your spouse says something to you, you receive it the wrong way. When your boss says something to you, you receive it the wrong way. As if now there's something wrong with me. I want to tell you, that's not the words they use, but that's how you felt. It's called shame. It's called shame. There's people here today, I'm preaching to you about hope, I'm preaching to you about love, I'm preaching to you about grace, but while I preach, uh, you feel ashamed, uh, like you've done, like you are wrong, like you are bad, uh, but that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is you don't have to be, amen, in that position of shame anymore. I'm actually preaching the opposite. You can come out of shame. You can, you can be set free from shame. You can be liberated from shame. It's always, it's always intrigued me how, I, how, how two people can hear the same sermon and they hear different things. Somebody says, man, that was powerful. I'm going to move forward in life. The other one says, that pastor was mean. You're probably both right. I don't know. We'll see. But you know what people are really saying? They're saying, I, I feel so ashamed about, about myself that I don't feel like I'm worthy to change. The biggest challenge of people changing is not the ability to change. Everybody's got the ability to change. The Bible says there was a man that was possessed of a legion. That's thousands of devils. And he ran and worshipped Jesus. No devil could stop him from worshipping. No devil could stop him from worshipping. So what does that let me know? Nothing can stop you from changing. Nothing. I'm going to preach hope until it gets into your bone marrow. Nothing can stop you from changing. Your pest can't stop you from changing. Your, no devil can stop you from changing. Your heritage can't stop you from changing. 
Your background can't stop you from changing. But shame will stand in between you and changing. And it'll say, no, you can't change because of, and it's a lie. Shame has got people using their performance to cover up their flaws. There's some people that they're so performance-driven. I'm preaching real good. I'll say amen to myself. So performance-driven that you have got so wrapped up. This is why some folks right now are working 70 hours a week. It's not because you need the money. Some people need the money. Praise God. God bless you. May God give you a better job. But you're working 70 hours a week because you never want to stare yourself in the mirror. People are more scared. Of, why do we have cell phones? Why are they so prevalent in our generation? I'll tell you why these are so prevalent in our generation. Because it's a, it's a great distraction. Can I preach to somebody about fig leaf culture for just a moment? <laughs> Amen. She, they, they cover themselves with fig leaves. Shame has such a powerful hold on some lives that it has distorted the self-image. It has inhibited the ability to connect with others. Shame has caused people, caused people to drive themselves into hiding. It has caused them to mask themselves. It has led them to feelings of loneliness and disconnection. Did you know that we're living in a world that is honor and shame driven? It was even more so. There's some cultures even that have an honor system. And there's an honor code that they say it like this, death before dishonor. But I want to tell you that's, that's resurrecting in this generation. But it's the, it's the ugly side of honor. I believe in honor. I believe you ought to honor your father and mother. I believe you ought to honor God. I believe you ought to honor the brethren. I, I believe the Bible speaks of honor. It's a good thing. But there's a dark side to honor. And that's the shame shame culture that comes along with honor culture, amen, where you honor your family, you honor your tribe, you honor your village, you honor your city, you honor the nation you represent. Uh, however, uh, if you ever make a mistake uh, in that kind of culture, uh, all of a sudden you are shameful, you are bad, uh, you have brought dishonor upon the family, upon the, the nation, upon and it's coming across even in this generation today. The avoidance of shame is something that people are looking for. So they'd rather put on a mask to make it look like they've done no wrong. They'd rather put on the appearance that they've got it all together. They'd rather use a filter to make it look like they've never had anything go wrong than to ever slip out into a shameful thing. Because Adam and Eve was so ashamed, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This is precisely how mankind handles shame. We come with, up with all sorts of man-made coverings. I want to tell you, honor culture is nothing more than fig leaf culture. Perfectionism is nothing more than fig leaf culture trying to cover up the shame. Workaholic is just another word for fig leaf culture. It's another word for shame and covering up the shame. Deflection is fig leaf culture that's simply saying, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. Avoidance is fig leaf culture. Indecision is fig leaf culture. It's saying, uh, I don't want anybody to see my shame. I got to cover it up. I got to cover it up with a nicer home. I got to cover it up with a nicer car. I got to cover it up with a nicer boat. I got to cover it up with a new relationship. I got to cover it up with another drink at the bar. I've got to cover it up to look like, oh, he's just partying. He's just having a good time. No, he's an alcoholic. He doesn't want you to know that. 
cover, cover myself. But can I help you here today? You can't cover yourself. We were never designed to cover ourselves. He, in fact, he created us without covering because God was supposed to be our covering. When we try to cover our shame, we will miss it. And there will always be some flesh coming through. This is the challenge in the church sometimes. Is people are so busy trying to cover themselves with self-righteousness that it inhibits their ability to become righteous in Christ. And they try to cover, cover, cover. Well, I'm a good Christian. I'm a good Christian. But you're not very good Christian at home or at work. And you're just trying to cover it where if this group thinks I'm all right, then I must be all right. But brothers and sisters, there's a covering that comes from Jesus that's much better than any covering you can get. Let me preach to my generation for just a few moments. Let me preach to my generation. You know what another fig leaf is in our generation? And I'm going to say this, no, don't, nobody, nobody needs to shout and whoop, none of that on this one. Transgenderism. We're not trying to make nobody feel bad. Let me just say what it really is. Let me pull back the veil for a minute. It's fig leaf culture. It's shame culture. You know what they've said to women? Women, you know, you need, you're not pretty enough. You're not slim enough. You're not good enough. In fact, you're not as strong as a man. You're not as good as a man. Uh, and this is the patriarchy. There's all sorts of stuff being put out there. And it's trying to shame women. You want to know why apostolics stand for some of the stands we stand for, that women should look like women, men should look like men? It is not to shame. It is actually to uplift what God has created you to be. If you're a woman, God created you beautifully and wonderfully. He didn't make no mistakes. I'll preach it till it gets into the culture. You don't need to try to be a man. If you're a woman, God created you a wow man. God, God created you, and he said, it is very good. He just said man was good, but when he created woman, he said it's very good. You ought to celebrate what God has made you to be. Oh, I came to preach it. I came to preach it. Listen. Beware. I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, beware of, 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 of modern-day feminism. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about feminism back in the day that said we want to vote. I'm all about that. I'm talking about modern-day feminism that don't even want women around. In fact, they want to get rid of the entire gender altogether. Modern feminism that says you, 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 ought, you need to try to usurp and be better than a man. But I want to help us here today. You can do things a man will never be able to do. Our world says, you, well, you aren't as this as a man. You aren't that as a man. Let me tell you that no matter what man becomes a woman or declares that he's a woman, he can't give birth to a child. He can't feed that child. Well, I declare that I'm a woman. It doesn't matter. You can't change. You might be able to change diapers, but, brother, you can't bring that thing to pass. Listen, there's some strong women that can outlift some of us men in the house of the Lord. Yeah, they bodybuilders. Praise God. They can do more than some men. I tell you, there's not one bodybuilder that can produce a child. In other words, women can do that which men can't do, but the world would say, you know what? You need to put on some makeup. You need to color your hair. You need to paint your nails because God created you, and he created you with defects and imperfections. Well, I came to preach today. I, I didn't come to get on this, but we here. We here. We here in church. Well, you aren't pretty enough, and you know what happens? They, in fact, they say they put all these commercials together just for you. You know, you never seen you never seen a commercial for a man that said he ain't good enough. The dude's got a beer belly. He out there, you know, he's just. There's no commercial saying, brother, you need to go to the gym. 
But a woman who's already a size zero, they want to make her a negative five. Because she ain't good enough. Amen. I want to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's shame. It's shame. It's shame. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. When God shaped you, the Bible says mankind was created. Mankind and womankind were created by the hand of God. God formed you. Well, I don't like my shape. God formed that shape. It's the potter to look at the clay and say, I'm not good enough. No, he knows exactly what he's doing. But hell, hell has got an agenda to shame people. Shame people away from God. Shame people away from redemption. Shame people. In fact, that's why it's like you, you got men that they're shaming them with this thing called toxic masculinity. I want to tell you, masculinity is not toxic. Weak men are toxic. <laughs> strong men are not toxic because strong men love their wives. Strong men build churches. Strong men... Strong men take care of their families. Strong men don't walk out on their kids. Strong, weak men do that. There, there's toxic weak men out there, but there ain't no such thing as toxic masculinity because if a World War III ever breaks out, who you think they're sending to the front lines, Brother Diaz? They're sending the strong men. They're sending the men that say, I'll die for a greater cause. I'll die for people I've never met. And this generation has lied to the young men and said, you know what? You need to just... You need to just just bottle up all that aggression to get rid of it. And they've made our generation of men so scared to be a man. They'd rather be a woman. It's shame. It's shame. I know I will probably not get liked on the Internet, but praise God for that. Because I come to come against shame. When God made you a man, he knew exactly what he was doing. When God made you a woman, he knew exactly what he was doing. Because he said, there's nobody that can do what you can do. And when he made the man, he said, nobody's going to be able to do what you can do. Amen, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, you think God knew his gender? Of course he did. He said, Jeremiah, I've anointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Before Deborah was ever produced in the womb, God knew you're going to be raised up as a judge. Before Ruth was ever born, he said, I know that eventually you're going to find a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz will produce a David. And David will produce a Jesus. I want to tell you, God already knew. Lest we forget, I know it's about Easter, but can I preach Christmas for just a moment? The Lord of all heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, God manifested in the flesh, came through a woman. Don't forget it. God was manifested in the flesh by coming through a woman. Don't ever look down on what God made you. Don't ever. Somebody ought to shout and give God a great praise. So we got to be careful. And I, there's a lot of things we could talk about, but it's shame. It's saying you should be ashamed to be a man. You should be ashamed to be a woman. You should be ashamed to be elderly. You should be ashamed to be a kid. You should be ashamed. You should act older. You should be younger. That's what they're saying to the young people. You need, you need, you need to grow up. But they're five. Let them be five. And you're older. They're saying you got too many gray hairs. You need to get rid of them. But the Bible says gray hairs wisdom. Praise God. And some of us got no gray hair, but we still got a little wisdom. Just little. Praise God. Not much. It's coming. Praise God. 
The phrase despising the shame refers to Jesus' willingness to endure the humiliation and the disgrace associated with crucifixion. In ancient Jewish culture, being hung on a tree was considered a curse. That's why Deuteronomy and the book of Galatians says, Cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. It was a curse. It was shameful to hang upon a tree. Jesus, when he's on the cross, he is crucified between two thieves. Think about that for a minute. God of heaven and earth is being crucified between two men that probably most likely deserved it. And there's Jesus who didn't deserve any of it. And crucifixion was reserved for the lowliest of criminals. It was the greatest humiliation. Jesus got the double whammy. They spit on him. They slapped him. They whipped him. They beat him. They did it over and over again. They they pulled his beard from his face. It was all in an act to shame the man. And as he's walking up, they said, save yourself, save yourself, save yourself. All of this, the Bible says Jesus endured the cross. But the Bible says Jesus did it willingly. I'll tell you why. The Bible says for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. I've come to preach to somebody. Jesus willingly took the shame of the cross, knowing that his death would serve as the ultimate act of love and sacrifice for humanity. Jesus offers us a powerful remedy from shame through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Through the sacrifice, Jesus offers us the opportunity to fully know that we are loved regardless of our past failures and our shortcomings. Can I help you here today? One of the first things that entered the world because of sin was something called shame. But Jesus died on the cross. And in his act of dying on the cross, one of the first things he ever conquered was shame. He endured and despised the shame. I've come to preach to somebody. Isaiah 54 is a prophecy amen, that is to be fulfilled after an Isaiah 53 crucifixion prophecy. It was the joy that Jesus endured the cross for. He said, Fear not, you shall not be ashamed, you will not be confounded, neither will you be put to shame. In fact, he says, we're going to forget the shame of your youth. Everybody's got a past. Everybody's made mistakes. But just because you made a mistake, God says we're going to forget about that through my blood. Just because you made a mistake doesn't mean you are a mistake. He came to despise that devil that shames you and says you're messed up. You're the problem. He came to despise the shame that says you're unwanted, unloved, you're dirty, you're not wanted by anybody in life. And Jesus said, I want them, I love them, I'll clean them, I'll... Let's stand across the building lift up our hands. Come on, let's lift up our hands and let's magnify the Lord. Come on, he came to eradicate shame. He came, amen, and when he bore that cross, he had the joy of the Lord. And the joy was saying, I'm getting rid of their shame. I'm getting rid of their shame. I'm covering them from their shame. Somebody lift up your hands and let's magnify the Lord.
Come on, let's lift up our voice and let's pray. There's some people here today, you brought a lot of shame. You brought shame from your childhood. You brought shame from your mistakes. You brought shame from a past relationship. You brought shame from a past marriage. You brought shame from all sorts of things that have happened to you. You brought a lot of shame in the house of the Lord. But Jesus said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endure the cross, and I'm going to get rid of that shame. In Christ, we are offered a new identity. One that is not defined by our past mistakes or society's expectations. We are invited to find our worth and our value in God's unconditional love for us rather than our own accomplishments or the opinions of others. What does that look like? A life free from shame. A life free from shame. What does that look like? I once was lost, but now I'm found. My identity used to be I was lost. It was shameful. But man, Jesus found me. He picked me up. My identity used to say I once was blind. But in Christ, my new identity says now I can see. Shame says I'm unworthy. But Christ says you're worthy through my death on, on Calvary. Shame says I'm damaged. But Jesus says you are restored. Shame says I'm unwanted. Jesus says, you are dearly loved. Can I give everybody in the house of the Lord a remedy for shame? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, how do I apply that? The way the Bible says it in John chapter 3, verse 1 through, through 8. Amen. Everybody quotes verse 16, but what about 1 through 8? He says, except a man is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I want to tell you what God does. He translates us from darkness into light, from death into life. He takes us out of shame into a loving relationship. And that only comes by joining him in the death, burial, and resurrection. What does that look like in the, in, in the biblical model? The death is, is, is the way you get out of shame is you've got to die to it. It starts by repentance. We turn from shame, we turn from guilt, and we turn towards God. All repentance is, is changing of direction. Saying, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to think like this anymore. Do you know, everybody in this building can repent. Everybody. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. God loves us so much, he said, I'm going to give you a chance to change. You know how we join him in burial? The Bible says we are buried with him through baptism. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you don't know what you're missing. You see, repentance is when I die to that shame. Baptism is where I bury that shame. All of that mess, whether it was your fault or somebody else, don't matter. The blame game stops here. You put it in that watery grave. And the Bible says when you come up out of that water, you rise to newness of life. All things, that include shame, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The Bible says you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What's the Holy Ghost? That you would walk in newness of life, which means I don't have to go back to my shameful life. I don't have to go back to the ways of shame. I don't have to go back to thinking like that. I don't have to go back to living like that. There are people right now that because of shame, you are living so far beneath your means. 
Because you only feel worthy for this, you settle for this. But God, through his infinite love, said, I see you coming up here. The Bible says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. But shame will put you in the dirt. What does this look like? The Bible says that there's a woman caught in the very act of adultery. Everybody here can understand how shameful it is to be caught doing something like that. That's shameful and that's guilt just riding on you. But the worst part is she was caught in the very act. That's in your Bible. And they took her and threw her at the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus got down in the sand and started writing all of the accusers, all the ones that were shame propagators. They had stones in their hand. They said, let's, let's finish. Shame said, let's finish her off. Jesus said, writing in the sand. You know, I personally don't believe Jesus was writing a whole lot. Some people think that Jesus was writing the sins of the older people and the younger people. I don't believe that. I believe what was actually happening there. Sister Pam, I know you've hurt your hip. Maybe back your Sister Olivia, if you can come here. Uh, that's all right, sis. All right, Sister Olivia is going to be our, be our, go ahead, get on the ground, sis. This is our, our object lesson for the day. Shame on her. Shame on That's what the religious said. Shame on her. Everybody got a rock in their hand. Everybody, if we did that today, everybody have an iPhone. Shame on her. And Jesus got down. Notice what's happening here. Look at my eye level. Down on his knees. And he said, and he started writing in the sin. He said, whosoever's without sin, let them cast the first stone. If you've never made a mistake, go ahead and throw that rock. But he sees her at eye level. And he stands up, and he looks back at her and says, Woman, where are your accusers? Because the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they left. And he grabbed her by the hand. He said, Get up. I want to tell you what God's love will do. God's love will elevate you. Shame. Shame says, Go down. You're worthless. You're no good. You're unloved. But I believe Jesus got down on his knees so he could get eye level with this woman to let her know, in spite of what you've done, I still love you. And he said, go your way, sin no more. Brother Caleb, you're our final example. Take off your coat, brother. Hold that. The Bible says there is a prodigal son. He went out. He said, Father, give me my inheritance. He said, give me all my money. Give me everything you got. Because I, I want to make sure that I can live as, as however I want. Nobody's going to say nothing about me. He goes out. The Bible says he spent all his living on riotous living. He lived like just an absolute mess. He was eating in the pig's pen. This dude got messed up. Now, he's, 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 he looks too good for this sermon. Praise God. The Bible says... He finally came to himself and says, I'll go back to my father's house and I'll be a slave. Shame took him from being a son to feeling like a slave. And the Bible says that he came back home and the father saw him afar off and he ran to where he was and he said, you good for nothing. See, some of y'all think that's how God is. You deserve everything you've been through. That's not in your Bible. The Bible says he ran and he embraced his son. 
He said, my son's come home. And he called, and he, said, he called for the servants. He said, come here. Bring him the nicest garment. Put it on him, brother. That ain't the nicest garment, but it's a, it'll work. Because I'm tired of what his shame has made him look like. I'm tired of what his shame has made him feel like. I'm tired of the fact that shame has said he's worthless and he deserves to be a slave and not a son. He says, give him the ring of authority. Put new shoes on his feet. He said, make him look like a son because even though he didn't feel like one, he's still my son. God bless you. Let's lift up our hands. Let's pray. I'm done. I'm done. But shame is despised by Jesus. And shame is going to be destroyed by Jesus. Today, it's going to go once and for all for some folks. Shame is going to be destroyed by the love of God. In fact, I want you to come if you could. Would you empty out your seats? We're going to come down to the front. We're just, we're just going to lift up our hands and we're going to just pray. Don't be ashamed. You have nothing to be ashamed of. I want to tell you what you're going to feel when you come to this front. You're going to feel the love of Jesus. You're going to feel the love of Jesus. You're going to feel the goodness of God. You're going to feel a God that says, I love you even if you didn't feel loved. A God that elevates you in spite of what you've done. Because God does not base his love on your actions, sir. He doesn't base your, his love based on what you've been, ma'am. He loves you. Come on, let's lift up our hands. Let's pray. Come on. God loves you. Just, well, I've not been perfect. That's all right. God loves you, imperfect and all. Well, I've made mistakes. Haven't we all? Jesus loves you. Come on, somebody, you need to get this in your spirit. Jesus loves you. It's more than a bumper sticker. Jesus really loves you. It's more than something nice on Facebook. Jesus loves you. He doesn't, he doesn't shame you. He doesn't tear you down. He loves you. Oh, let's pray. Let's pray until shame is eviscerated in this house. Jesus said, I'm taking the shame on the cross so my people don't have to feel ashamed. And when I get done, I will remove the shame of their youth. I will remove the shame of their childhood. I will remove the shame of their life. Come on, let's begin to sing. Lift up your hands and let's pray. Come on, shame says you can't get better. But grace says, I've already provided what you need to be better. Come on, the love of God has already made a way. Come on, no more shame. No more shame. Release yourself of what shame has told you. Release yourself of what shame has told you. It's a lie. It's a lie. Remind me once again just who I am because I need to
Come on, pray. There's breakthroughs in this building. There's breakthroughs in this building. There's people you haven't felt loved your whole life, but I want you to know you're loved by God.